0: Take your Bibles and turn to Proverbs chapter 19. We're back in Proverbs tonight, going through our verse-by-verse, word-by-word study through the uh, book of Proverbs. So we left off in chapter 19, and we're going to begin tonight in verse 15. So we'll just see how far we can get. Uh, So uh, it says in Proverbs 19, verse 15, slothfulness... That's an interesting word. I mean, I guess you could say the modern word for that is laziness, but I like slothfulness because it makes me think of those cute little sloths, right? <laughs> that hang from the tree and they're ever so slow and they're, they're so slow and practically immobile that they literally grow moss on their fur. They say that a rolling stone gathers no moss, but just, uh, uh, sloths do. So, you know, this word is very descriptive in and of itself, and we don't use it a lot in our modern language. So I like how the King James says, slothfulness casts a deep sleep. Maybe you might think of a, of a sloth with a wizard's hat, you know, with all the stars and the, and the moons, and he's got a wand, and he's casting a spell. <laughs> slothfulness casts into a deep sleep, and an idle soul shall suffer hunger so laziness is one of those types of traits that begets laziness you know the more that you that you lay around the more tired you are i mean I, i i won't name any names but i know a certain person who says they're tired all the time and that's because they're laying around all the time they're sleeping all the time they sleep all day it's kind of the same principle with arthritis they tell you that if you have arthritis, the way to stave off the pains of arthritis is to stay active, to stay mobile. The more mobile you are, and, and it's true because I'm getting a little bit of arthritis in my right hip. And I notice in the morning, oh, it's so tight and sore and it's hard to roll out of bed. Yeah. But once I get up in the morning and get moving, I, I forget that I even have that condition in my hip. So laziness begets laziness. Um, all right, so... Now, an inactivity breeds more inactivity. So uh, let's let's continue on and read that verse again. So it says, slothfulness casts into a deep sleep, and an idle soul shall suffer hunger. An idle soul, which means, you know, like when you start your car and you let it run, they say you're letting your car idle Mm -hmm. because it's just running. It's It's not moving. It's not going anywhere. And that's what idle means. And so there's that saying that we've heard all our lives, idle hands are the devil's workshop. So if you're not busy doing something, then that's when you get tempted to do stuff that you're not supposed to do, right? So you stay productive and you stay busy, and that's a good way to stay away from temptation. When you have nothing to do, that's when the devil likes to come in. So I've written some verses that kind of pertain to the last half of of this verse, where where it says, uh, where it says, an idle soul shall suffer hunger. So I'm going to be doing a lot of uh, flipping here, so you don't have to to go with me. You can just listen as I quote these verses. But in Second Thessalonians chapter three verse ten, it reads, For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat you don't work you don't eat we live sadly in a country where if you don't work they'll give you all the food you want if you don't work they'll even give you marijuana if you want it if you don't work you know they won't give you heroin but they'll give you the next best thing they'll give you some methadone and that's sadly the 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 society that we live in so in 2 thessalonians through 10 if you don't work you don't eat now proverbs has a lot to say about itself so here we read, as I said in in our, our passage in nineteen fifteen, part B, an idle soul shall suffer hunger. So a lot of times Proverbs comments on itself. So in the next chapter, in chapter twenty, verse four, it says, the sluggard, that's another good good word. Sluggard. You know, I that one
1: in a while.
0: yeah, sluggard. I mean we know a slug. Yeah. Like a slug, just barely moves, and like in the in the springtime when I'm sitting out on my my uh, glassed-in porch, sometimes early in the morning there'll be like a slug that'll be cr- leaving a streak behind it on the window, and they just move so slowly.
1: It's
0: like a sloth. Huh? It's like a sloth, but yeah. in an invertebrate kind of sloth. Yeah so in proverbs 20 verse 4 it says the sluggard will not plow by reason of the cold so lazy person will find every excuse not to do what they need to do oh it's too cold outside i'm not gonna go out and do anything there's another proverbs and we might read it i don't know if i got it written down or not but i can't go outside there's a line out in the street just any excuse will do and it reminds me of this pastor who went door to door evangelizing and inviting people to church and this one guy just always seemed to have an excuse every single time. Oh, well, I'd love to, pastor. Thank you for the invitation, but blah, 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 blah. Well, the pastor visited him so much, the guy ran out of excuses. And so the guy come to the door and said, hey, I you know, want to come invite you to church. Oh, I just can't, pastor, because I don't have any peanut butter in the house. <laughs> He's a peanut butter. What does peanut butter have to do with not being able to go to church? Because I don't know one excuse as good as the other. <laughs> so the sluggard will not plow by reason of the cold therefore he shall beg in harvest and have nothing that's one thing that drives me nuts is people will say well you're a christian you're supposed to be charitable to help me well why do you want me to help you if you haven't made the effort to help yourself you just want a handout i don't do handouts you made your bed, lie in it, and maybe if you suffer a little bit, maybe you'll realize, oh, hey, you know, I better do something on my own. Right? I'm, I'm all for giving to charity. I'm all for helping people. But I really don't like helping people who don't help themselves. You give to the needy, not the greedy. Yeah, you give to the needy, not to the greedy. That's a that's a good saying. That's a good saying. So another passage is in Proverbs chapter 24, verse uh, 33 and 34. Oh, I love this one. Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little of the folding of the hands to sleep. You know, so it's like, take a little nap here, take a little cat nap there, you know, rest here, lay on the couch, get in the uh, the lazy boy. Just every chance you get a little sleep, a little slumber, a little of the folding of the hands to rest. So shall your poverty come as one that travails and want as an armed man. So if you're not active, doing what you're supposed to do, getting your firewood ready, you know, in the summertime for winter, you know, planting your garden in the springtime so you will have food in the fall. You don't do those things, and yet you complain, oh, I'm almost running out of firewood. I'm not going to have enough wood for the winter. Or, oh, I don't have anything to eat. Well, you were a sluggard. You, 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 You were lazy. You rested too much. And, uh, you know, you didn't do what you needed to do to get done, and now you want somebody to bail you out. And that's not biblical. Uh, in Proverbs chapter 6,
1: well, like you
0: said, people will bail well, and the Proverbs has something to say about bailing people out that don't need bailing out. In re- reference to an angry person, it says if you rescue an angry person, you're going to just wind up doing it again. So somebody gets mad and they get, in, you know, they get in trouble for expressing their anger and you bail the person out to protect them or help them. Well, they're not going to learn a lesson from it. So they're just going to fall right back in it. So if you help somebody who doesn't help themselves, they're just going to expect it. And then they'll throw that in your face. Well, how come you're not helping me? You're supposed to be a Christian. Christians is supposed to help everybody. Because it fits their situation, right? But that's not what the Bible says you know this is not a biblical verse but it's a good saying that has a biblical basis god helps those who help themselves we've heard that it's not in the bible but it's a biblical principle nonetheless and we're we're getting to the crooks of that with all these different verses here so in proverbs chapter 6 verses 10 and 11 it says it's basically the same thing that we read yet a little sleep a little slumber A little folding of the hands to sleep so shall your poverty come as one travails and your want as an armed man so it's the exact same thing we just read in 24 verses 33 and 34 by two or three witnesses let everything be established you know and that's why sometimes the Word of God repeats itself and repetition is one of the greatest ways to learn and to get something stuck in your head Um, even in the chapter that we're studying uh, Proverbs 19 You go a little further to 24 and it says a slothful man hides his hand in his bosom and will not so much as bring it to his mouth again talking about a person that's so lazy they won't even feed themselves that's pretty lazy that's pretty bad and then finally in proverbs 26 verse 15 26 verse 15 it says well basically the same thing A slothful, the slothful hides his hand in his bosom, and it grieves him to bring it to his mouth. In other words, it's a chore. Oh, man, I got to eat? I wish I could just, oh, you mean I got to take my hand out and move my hand to bring the food to my mouth? I mean, that's pretty bad. That's, that's, that's lazy. That is, yes, that is about as extreme as you can get. Okay, so let's take uh, chapter 19, verse 15, and let's break these words down let's get a little bit deeper into this so again it says the uh, slothfulness casts into a deep sleep and an idle soul shall shall suffer hunger so slothful is basically self-explanatory it's pretty obvious it means laziness now this word cast means to we we, want to think of it as in casting a spell and i even kind of jokingly alluded to that when we first read this verse but the hebrew for cast means to fall upon. Or to overthrow like overthrowing an enemy or overthrowing a weak person or something so that's what this word cast means so laziness causes one to fall laziness causes one to be overthrown we could say so they're overthrown how are they overthrown how does laziness overthrow or defeat a person by deep sleep and this word deep sleep in the Hebrew actually means to be put into a trance So when you're put into a trance your eyes are open but nobody's home the lights are on but nobody's home that's what a trance is you're just oblivious to everybody and everything around you so that's what laziness does some people may call it daydreaming and i guess i did a lot of that in school because i just was so bored by what the teacher was saying i would just stare off into space and i was somewhere else (laughs) Yeah, what? Yeah, head and butt disease. Yeah, (laughs) that's right. Slothfulness casts a deep sleep. And an idle soul, this word idle means slack, but interestingly, it also means deceit and treachery. So, laziness, which makes you idle, is deceitful. It's lying to you, it's treacherous because it wants to overthrow you and conquer you. Now, I'm going to tell on myself, I'll tell you a lazy moment in my life where when I didn't want to do something, I would say, oh, well, I don't need to do that. I'm saving my energy. How stupid is that? And I paid for it one time because I kept saying to myself when I should have done stuff that that I know I should have done, but I made the excuse by saying, oh, it's not necessary. I need to save my energy. Well, one time, a, a, a person that I knew that I was staying with, they uh, in the springtime, they were greening up their lawn, and they accident, the fire accidentally got away from them. And I had to run out and help them put that fire out, and I realized, boy, I'm out of shape. So where's all this energy I was supposed to be saving up? I could really use it right now. But it was a deception, a treacherous deception and lie. Because I didn't save any energy. Laziness begat laziness, and I just got weak and tired because I just laid around and made the excuse, oh, I'm saving my energy.
1: I suppose then you heard the one about that guy who was at the county fair, and they had to prove that they were lazy. Okay. Everybody was telling how, their, how they were being lazy. One guy said, well, just roll me over and put it in my pocket. <laughs>
0: So that's what the word idol means. Um, So um, the word soul means one's very being, one's very essence. Now when we're talking about soul, we're talking about the same thing that famous people sell to the devil to get famous. And don't think that's just a fairy tale. That literally happens. People have sold their soul to the devil so they could be a famous movie star or rock star or or whatever or what have you. (coughs) And that's what the word soul means your very essence your very being that part of you that's going to live for eternity and so it says um and an idle soul shall suffer hunger and this word hunger means to be famished or to be starved moving on to verse 16 he or the one that keeps the commandment keeps his own soul but he that despises his ways shall die now when i see this verse i like to kind of coin this verse to say that this verse is like a divine insurance policy it says he that keeps the commandments keeps his soul now we're not talking about legalism here we're talking about keeping god's commandments god's instructions the thou shalts and thou shalt nots. keeping those not because you think it's going to save you but because you know it's good for your life you know that that's the way God wants you to live and it's like a divine insurance policy. And I'm not talking or preaching a work salvation. But it says he that keeps his commandment keeps uh, keeps the commandment keeps his own soul. Now it says the commandment. What do you think the commandment is? Oh. Well, it could be it's all it's yeah, in a way it's all of them, but what is the greatest commandment? yeah love God with all your heart soul mind, and strength and the second is like unto it love your neighbor as yourself so that's that may be what Solomon is really getting at here because if you love God and love others then kind of by default you're gonna keep all the other Commandments so it says he that keeps the commandment keeps his own soul so you're protecting your soul when you obey God you're protecting yourself when you obey what God says keeps us also but he that despises his ways what ways the ways of the commandments the ways of love shall die so it's like the commandments are like guardrails now it's funny guardrails should be in a lot of places that they're not and they don't put guardrails in those places until somebody has a fatal accident oh, I guess we should have put a guardrail there. But if they had one there in the first place, then there would have been no fatalities. So the commandments are sort of like guardrails. They protect us. You know, when we kind of get on the soft shoulder or hit a patch of ice and skid, and, I mean, our car gets banged up, but we don't roll over the cliff and die. And uh, so that's what the commandments are, are like. The commandments are also like a lifeguard. You may be a good swimmer, but everybody has their bad days and, you know, anybody can drown in in the right conditions so it's great to have a lifeguard and that's kind of what this what this verse reminds me of and another scripture that i thought of when i thought of this verse was matthew chapter 5 verse 19 which reads whosoever shall break one of the least of these commandments which according to the rabbis is uh um, taking a mother with her young as far as birds go disturbing a bird's nest Says you can take the young and you can take the eggs, but leave the mother why because she can keep producing more chicks So it's not a big deal whoever shall break one of the least of the commandments and teach men to do so. Oh, it's okay We don't have to do that anymore. He shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven But whosoever shall do and teach them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven So again, we're not talking a workspace salvation. We're not talking about legalism We're just talking about God's commandments, which is basically the instruction book rule book of life It's there to protect us. It's just like us as parents with little kids. Don't stick your finger in a light socket. Why? Because we just want to poo-poo on there and rain on their parade? No, we don't want to see them get electrocuted. So it's a rule for a reason. It's to protect them, and we place that rule there because we love them. God has given us his commandments because he loves us, not because he wants to punish us. So they're there for our protection. All right, so let's dig a little deeper into this verse we'll read it again and then tackle the words he that keeps the commandment keeps his own soul but he that despises his ways shall die so this word keep is means to guard means to guard like a mall cop like a rent-a-cop, right? To guard, a, a security guard. That's basically the essence of the meaning of this word, to keep. He that keeps, or he that safeguards, the commandment. Now, the commandment here in the Hebrew is mitzvah. Mitzvah. Now, in Judaism, in Jewish communities, you'll people, you'll hear people say performing a mitzvah or do this because it's a mitzvah. Mitzvah is is kind of attached to a good deed. Doing something that's good—that's the way that Judaism looks at a mitzvah today. Bar mitzvah. bar mitzvah means son of the commandments, or bat mitzvah, daughter of the commandment, because the word mitzvah really is commandment. So, what a bar and bat mitzvah is is when a young boy or girl uh, comes to that age of accountability. It's the, it's the same word, right? Yeah, it's the same word. Yeah. So um, that's what a, a mitzvah is. It's a it's a commandment. So he that guards or keeps the commandment. Keeps and it's the same word to guard, safeguards or keeps his own soul. And again, that's your eternal being, your eternal essence, that which is going to live on when your body expires. But he, um, but he that despises his ways shall die. Despises means to scorn, to hold into in, in contempt. So it, it's like a teenager when a when a parent gives a rule. And the teenager don't like that rule. They curl up their lip, and they give a scowl, and they're like, Like, I don't care for that rule. I'm not going to do that. That's contempt. That's despising. And again, parents usually enforce rules out of love not to rain on somebody's parade or not as a punishment. So it says to despise, to scorn, to hold into contempt, to deem worthless. A lot of Christians are in danger because they hold a lot of the commandments of god in contempt they despise it you know say oh we don't have to do that anymore (laughs) to deem worthless vile or despicable so in the western christianity the law has gotten a really bad rap because people look at it as a bondage which to me is just ludicrous because that would make god A cruel and sadistic God because when did he give the commandments (coughs) when the children of Israel was in the wilderness after they escaped bondage and slavery from Egypt so what kind of a God would take you out of physical bondage just to send you off into the desert and place a spiritual bondage on you it makes no sense the way that (coughs) Hebrews look at the law they look at it as marital vows because when God gave the law at Mount Sinai, it's as if God says, will you? And Israel said, I do. That's the way we look at it because we look at the commandments as something of a gift of love that God has given us. Because we don't know good enough ourselves or well enough ourselves to do what's right and wrong because we just do what our flesh wants because it feels good. But God says, no, 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 this is what you should do, and I'm commanding you to do this because I love you. And so it fits perfectly with this verse here. He that keeps the commandment keeps his own soul, but he that despises his ways shall die. So the word ways means lifestyle or one's life path or journey, one's habitual manner, the way one carries themselves, uh, will die. Now, this word – there are several different words in the Hebrew for die. This one implies a violent death, dying a violent death or being executed which is different from just passing away from a sickness, disease, or old age, right? It's really dying prematurely in the worst way possible. All right, so, uh, oh, i still got some more notes here. All right, so let's go to verse 17. Verse 17. He that has pity upon the poor lends to the Lord, and that which he's given... Will he pay him again? Let me read that one more time. He that has pity upon the poor. Now the poor is different from the slothful. The poor is different from the sluggard. Because a lot of times you'll have poor people who have a sense of pride. They don't want a handout. They want to earn what they get. And they're ashamed that they're poor. These are the type that God wants us to have pity on. Because they're in this poor situation, not because they put themselves there, but because they can't help it. It wasn't their doing, that they found themselves in that situation. He that has pity upon the poor, like I said, which is different from a sluggard or a slothful person, lends to the Lord. And that which he has given, he will pay him again. So when someone can't pays you back, when when someone can't pay you back, you can count on that god will pay you back and he may pay you back in a way that you just don't expect which is good because god knows what you need physically mentally spiritually so whatever you have given somebody you may not get that exact same thing in return but you might get something better or something that you needed so when uh someone can't pay you back the lord will pay you back when you give knowing that somebody can't repay you or reciprocate it's considered the highest um, deed uh, the highest good deed so one of the greatest good deeds that is considered in Judaism is um, helping so- helping bury somebody helping bury somebody why because you're doing a good deed for a dead person that can never pay you back a dead person can't bury themselves a dead person can't you know mourn for themselves or whatever but if you have people that that will pay respects to a deceased person it's considered a great honor and a good deed one of the highest good deeds because it's a deed that cannot be reciprocated or cannot be paid back and this reminds me of what it says in matthew chapter 22 in matthew chapter 22 starting with verse 1 so this is a little bit lengthy but it's a good story so hang with me says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a man that is a householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into, oh, no, sorry, that was 20. I mean 22. That's another good passage, but let's go to Matthew 22, verses 1 through 14. And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king, which made a marriage for his son. That's a praiseworthy celebration. And sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden or invited to the wedding, and they wouldn't come. What an insult. What a slap to the face. You've been invited to the wedding of a prince. Eh, no, 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 I'm not gonna come. I can't come. Don't wanna come. Again, he sent forth other servants saying, Tell them that which are bidden or which they're invited. Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fatlings are killed. So we're talking about a feast here. I mean prime rib, prime cuts of beef. I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatlings are killed and all things are ready. Come to the marriage. You don't have to pay anything, you're invited. You're a guest, come on. But they made light of it. In other words, they just didn't pay attention to it. Yeah, a big deal, who cares? Don't wanna go. But they made light of it and went on their way. One to his farm, another to his merchandise. All oh, my crops are more important than this wedding. My crop, or you know, my you know, selling my merchandise is more important than attending your son's wedding. And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. So some of them were offended that they were invited to the wedding, and they beat the snot out of them. Tell, get off my property! Get off my lawn! Quit knocking on my door. I don't want what you're peddling. <laughs> that's basically what it what it sounds like. And the remnant took his servant and, and treated them spitefully and slew them. But when the king, that's when you slay the the, the messenger, right? <laughs> don't blame the messenger. But when the king heard thereof, he was angry, rightly so. I mean, I'd be pretty ticked off if I invited a bunch of people and they just snubbed me. He was angry and he sent forth his armies, not his servants to invite. Now he's sending his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their cities. Why are they murderers? Because they killed the servants that he sent to invite to the, to the wedding. Then he said to his servants, the wedding is ready, but they which are invited are not worthy. Go you therefore into the highways and as many as you shall find bid to the marriage, invite them to the marriage. So we're talking, I mean, these people that were invited were successful businessmen, noblemen, people that had large plantations. You know, the upper crust of society, they didn't want to come. So now he's inviting the blue-collar guy, the regular Joe. Go, therefore, into the highways, and as many as you shall find bid to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together as many as they could find, both bad and good. So it didn't matter if they had a good reputation, bad reputation, if they were rich or poor, clean or dirty, it didn't matter. And so um, both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came in uh, to see the guest, he saw there a man that had not a wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how came you here not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And the king said to the servant bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness where they will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called but few are chosen so originally the guests that were invited were people that were rich enough to reciprocate if they wanted to like if they had a son or daughter that was getting married or they just wanted to throw a big party for whatever reason now he ended up inviting people that had no means of reciprocating the kindness of the king. I mean, these were pe- blue-collar people who couldn't throw a feast. They couldn't pay back the king. So I think that's kind of uh, kind of interesting and very appropriate for what we were reading here in uh, verse 17 of Proverbs 19, which again says, He that has pity upon the poor lends to the Lord, and that which he uh, has given he will pay him again. So let's break this down. So basically serve those who can't pay you back because that's not what it's about. It's not about you know getting paid back or somebody patting you on the back saying good job or getting recognized. It's about helping other people. Helping other people is more important than getting something in return. So okay, so breaking this uh, this verse down. He that has pity upon the poor lends to the Lord. And that which he has given, he will pay him again. So this word pity means to show favor, to be gracious, to be considerate, to be merciful. So pity is an active, conscious act of the will. Something that you don't have to do, but you do. To show favor, to be gracious, to be considerate, to be merciful. This word poor means weak, thin, and needy it implies such a one that cannot even provide for their basic essential needs and the word lens means to be joined to or to cleave to so how do you cleave and be joined to a poor person through your pity because pity implies sympathy and empathy putting yourself in that person's shoes i mean wow you're putting yourself in the position of a person who can't even provide for their own needs. we
1: pity as some derogatory
0: words. Yeah, we have, so and that's not what pity is, pity, right? right. We
1: understand it in a different
0: context. Exactly. Yeah, that's how sometimes how Western uh, the Western civilization has kind of skewed words. I pity you. Yeah. Right? well I pity the fool, Mister T would say. Right. <laughs> uh so lend means to be joined to or to cleave to so you're joined to this poor person it's kind of like the 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 word in it's kind of reminds you of the word where it says a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and they become one flesh so they're joining their souls together you're joining your soul with the soul of this poor person because you're showing grace and pity and consideration and mercy to them why because you have the ability to help them that's the reason that we're blessed. It's not so we can kick back and say, "Hoo hoo hoo! Praise you, thank you, God, I'm blessed." No, but you're blessed in order to be a blessing. Amen. So, all right, back to the text here. He that has pity upon the poor lends to the Lord. Uh, you join yourself to God. You cling to God when you minister to the poor. God is a giving God who takes pity on the poor materially and spiritually so when you give to somebody you are being godlike because god is a giving god what's the first thing that we see that god gave mankind no actually it was the breath of life that was the first thing he gave mankind he and god breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul god gave a part of himself so that we could live a breath yeah our life is his it's like mouth-to-mouth resuscitation somebody's dying or dead and you perform cpr and and mouth-to-mouth resuscitation you're giving your breath to them until they can breathe on their own you're giving your life to them in, in, in a sense and that's kind of what breath means it means your spirit your your wind your soul um and so that's kind of what we think of here so that's the first gift that god gave man is breath the breath of life so god is giving god so when we give we're being godlike so it goes on to say further and he which has gi- which he has given will he pay him again this word given means to uh recompense to reward or to benefit and this word pay means to restore to reward to render um, um to make amends to finish to bring peace to bring to an end he that has pity upon the poor lends to the Lord, and that which he has given he will pay him again. So this is basically saying that whatever you've given, somehow God is going to give back to you. But that's not why we give. All right, moving on to verse 18. Chasten your son, so that this word chasten means to to uh, correct through instruction that's a word we really don't use anymore is chasten, but it says "Chasten your son while there is hope when a child is two three four five six there's hope they're still moldable they're still impressionable you can still correct them but if you don't correct a child at that age don't expect them to do what you ask them to do when they're 13 14 15 16. it's too late It's too late. Chasten your son while there is hope. And let not your soul spare for his crying. Do not let your soul spare for his crying. I'm glad that my mom and dad did not spare for my crying. Oh, Please, mommy. Please, daddy. Don't spank me. Don't whip me. I'm glad they whipped me because I flippin' deserved it. And even if I got spanked, for something that I didn't do it made up for a time that I got away with something <laughs> so I'm thankful that they placed the rod of correction upon my little bum that's why we have so much padding back there that's what it's for <laughs> <laughs> spare the rod spoil the child is another passage chasten your son while there is hope and let not your soul spare for his crying so children are moldable up to a certain point that's why a godless government school system can indoctrinate, and they want to introduce your children to immorality and moral bankruptness through the LBGTQ agenda, through communism. And they, they're starting in preschool and kindergarten now, teaching this crap, teaching this stuff. Now, I have a nephew whose parents are believers. But they just kind of slacked off, going to church, doing the church thing, fellowshipping with other believers, doing family devotions, stuff like that. So basically, my nephew has been raised by the school system and indoctrinated by the school system. My sister was brokenhearted this past Christmas to discover that her grandson, my nephew, claims to be an atheist. Whose fault is that? Yeah. Yeah, it's the parents' fault. Or partially, I mean, we all have free will and make our own decisions, but they—they sure didn't, you know, give him a leg up to help him out in that area. So the word chasten, like I said, means to instruct through teaching, to correct, to discipline, to reform. Chasten your son while there is hope. This word hope, this word hope actually means umbilical cord. It, It we we would say the apron strings. So. It's interesting that back in the ancient times, when they would teach children to walk, they would actually tie cords to their hands. Now, we just let them hold on to our fingers. That's the way we do it here in our modern Western world. And, you know, they take little steps as their little fists are grabbing onto our fingers. But they would literally take cords almost like a puppet to help, you know, the child learn how to walk. This is what the word hope is referring to, talking about a child of that age. That's just starting the walk. That's still impressionable, and um, so it implies that the most important years are infancy to a toddler. Chasten your son while there is hope, and let not your soul—you know, your 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 emotional self, your inner being—do not let your soul spare, which this word spare means to give into. To buckle, to give into, to cave, to give into his crying. And this crying is the Hebrew word that what we would say screaming bloody murder. Not just whining and crying, but you know, just like all out blatant. That's what that means. Alright. I think we have time for one more. Maybe two more. We'll see. Verse 19, 1919. A man of great wrath shall suffer punishment. For if you deliver him, yet you must do it again. That's that's the verse that I mentioned earlier that I just kind of uh, paraphrased. A man of great wrath shall suffer punishment. For if you deliver him, yet you must do it again. This implies someone who is chronically and habitual in their actions and has no desire or intention to change. Such a person is unable to distinguish uh, someone trying to help or correct them because they're so set in their ways, thus they are unteachable. So again, it says, a man of great wrath shall suffer punishment. For if you deliver him, bail him out, rescue him, yet you will just have to do it again. That's pretty much what you were talking about before. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was, uh, the verse that I was trying to quote before. So this word great, a man of uh, great wrath, this word great means harsh and rough. Harsh and rough, and the word wrath means fury, rage. Ironically, and interestingly enough, it also means poison. So it kind of implies that unbridled fury and rage is poisonous to your soul and poisonous to other people because your rage is hurting other people who are... Now, I've had, I've had my fits of rage, and I don't know if anybody could relate, but I've been so angry... That I would, I was going off, and it's almost as if I was stepping outside of myself, watching myself lose it. Yeah. And there was a part of me that was saying, "Stop, stop! Just shut up! Just stop!" But, but my rage self wouldn't listen, and I just kept going, and I ended up hurting people's feelings, and not only hurting people's feelings, but hurting myself. Because when you fly in a rage, you're kicking and stomping and throwing, punching walls. Well, that's a good way to break your knuckles and. You know all this crazy stuff and that's what this is great wrath harsh rough fury poison and rage So it's like using words as a jagged weapon and people's mouths get them in trouble So that's what great wrath means a man of great wrath shall suffer this word suffer uh, Means to take oneself to hurt oneself. The man will suffer, shall suffer punishment. This word punishment means a fine or a penalty. Back then, lashes were very common. For a great man of wrath shall suffer punishment. He's going to pay for it somehow, whether he be fined, whether he be lashed. And a lot of times when people lose their temper, and they get angry and they go overboard and say or do things they shouldn't, Somebody gets ticked off themselves and says, "I don't have to put up with this," and they just punch the guy out. They deserve what they get. Like, you know, like my 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 father when I was being ornery, he would say, "Now, son, you're cruising for a bruising, yeah. right?" Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's kind of what it is when somebody loses it and starts getting angry. They're cruising for a bruising because they're going to say some something, insult somebody, insult somebody's mother, and nobody stands for that. And they're just going to deck the guy, and the person deserves it. But yet you'll have somebody that will step in and try to make peace and say no, no no don't hurt the guy he's just mad you gotta understand he's angry no i say step back and let the guy get belted because that's the way he's it's the only way he's gonna learn i mean he gets popped and see we live in such a sissy society i'm not condoning violence i don't like violence and i don't like confrontation but i see nothing wrong with somebody getting decked for doing something wrong because that's one of the greatest ways somebody learns because if somebody spouts off the mouth and nothing happens, they think they can keep doing it. They think they're untouchable. They think they're justified in spouting off at the mouth. But if somebody says, "Look, I ain't going to put up with that," and they get they deck them, I guarantee you that person will not do that again, at least around that person. They learn their lesson. See that that was one way that that guy, especially boys, guys, settled their differences.
1: Like Saturday morning, I was fairly bullish and I was in Woodstock down there. I met the boss and that was way back and working there. Yeah. I was a bad
0: grandpa. I
1: came to work Monday morning, Set my lunch down, just turned around and this guy grabbed me and took him, him right from wall to wall. He me ready to get to wall. And I just looked at him. I grabbed him. I threw him right on the floor and I hit him in the mouth for three times. Just smack, smack, smack. Yeah. He goes, oh. I said, what's wrong with you? I said, what should I ever do to you? I've helped you. I, I gave you. I know all that time, I smoked. I said, I gave you, cigarettes. I gave you food. I shared my coffee. He you freaking dogma. You. I said, how am I yourself? He with me. He said, you're at the map. I said, when? He said, Saturday morning. He said nine o'clock, and I said, hey, Donnie, old buddy, you gave me the sneered up, look, and walked straight away. I said, excuse me, I, said, I was in grandpas, pushing my little baby with my mom and my wife down to grandpa's mall.
0: Mistaken identity.
1: <laughs> he just looked at me, and I said, and I still had him make my throat. I said... I don't know if I want to hit you again. <laughs> or, or jerk you off the floor and, and set you up and say, look, I think you I deserve an I deserve apology. Yeah. I'm sorry I hit you. But I said, you shouldn't have grabbed me first. And you grabbed me at first and slammed me right down to the floor and hit my head. And I, <gasps> they slammed me against the wall and I, said, I just paid back. I said, I'm not one to push you around. I'm down. I said, I'm not. Right,
0: you know, we... I grew up, and up in. He
1: apologized and he said, "I swear to goodness, to you. I said, look, everyone has a look like, but I'm the okay. If I have a trim, I'm the best looking one. <laughs> and the good ladies out <laughs> there that work working there, they just bust out laughing and they say, 'We like your sense of humor, brother.' Well,
0: you know, I, I live. I lived in a different time, where my dad said, if there's a bully picking on you, you defend yourself. You stand up for yourself." I mean, nowadays they tell you to run to the teacher, which usually makes it worse because you know they're like, "Oh, you're just a little sissy, you're a tattletale." When you're not on school, right, and and that yeah, and that's exactly what happened. I, that's, you, I, remember the story I told about turning my bully into my friend? Well, that's exactly what happened. I went the route of tell the teacher, and he just he just poured it on thicker and made it worse for me. And he did catch me off school grounds and decked me. And that's when I, you know, I ran away and I went back to school the next day knowing he's going to make fun of me. And that's when I got in his face and saying, I don't care what you do to me or say to me. I love you and Jesus Christ loves you. Shocked him to death. And we became friends afterwards. But, you know, if you stand up to a bully, a rageful, angry person and give them what they deserve, you're going to set them in their place. They'll realize that they don't rule the roost anymore and they can't act that way or push people around. You even see this in my favorite sport, MMA. Now, sometimes there's bad blood and feuds in MMA because people talk smack, but nine times out of ten, when you get two people that can't stand each other, that are slated for a match in the octagon, I guarantee you, nine times out of ten, by the end of that match, they went in there hating each other, but because they fought each other and tested each other's metal they started they grew an appreciation and a respect for the other guy and they're shaking hands and hugging and patting on the back and inviting them to their house after the match you know so yeah and that's kind of what this verse is is kind of alluding to here says a man of great wrath shall suffer punishment but if you deliver him you must do it again so just let the guy get his just desserts, and don't try to bail somebody out because you're not helping them. You're enabling them to continue to be a jerk. You're enabling them to continue to be a butthole. If I can just be a little bit more blunt, but if they get if they get their just desserts and you don't bail them out, then they learn their lesson, and I think that's what Solomon is really trying to say here. So it says, uh, let me we, let's finish this this off here. But for if you deliver him, this deliver means rescue or snatch away. Uh, yet you must do it again. And this kind of reminds me of what it says in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 22. Though you should bray a fool in mortar among wheat with a pedestal, yet you will not, w- yet will not his foolishness depart from him. So basically what that means, yeah, well, it, this is talking about a foolish person. So though you should bray or grind a fool with a mortar and a pedestal uh, like wheat, yet not his foolishness depart from him. Sadly, there's some people that no matter what you do to them, they will not learn their lesson. They're so rebellious and so stubborn that they they won't get it. So sometimes you'll run into people like that, and that's kind of what that verse reminded me of. Um, I do have another verse. Let me look at this real quick because I think I wrote it in at last minute and circled it okay yeah okay so here this is talking about somebody who talks smack and deserves to get smacked proverbs eighteen six: a fool's lips enter into contention and his mouth calls for strokes i'll give you an example of when i was in elementary school you know how sometimes you pick up words and you don't know what the words mean yeah. i said a word to some boy that i heard and i didn't know what the meaning was Uh-oh. and guess what he did he punched me in the gut and then i was like why did he do that and then i learned what that word meant and i'm like okay yeah i, I deserve that one <laughs> so that's what proverbs that's what proverbs 18:6 says a fool's lips enter into contention and his mouth calls for strokes you're cruising for a bruising all right i think that's a good place to enter so we will pick it up lord willing next week Verse 20, 19, verse 20. Now, sometimes these Proverbs are a little bit hard for people to hear because Proverbs tells it like it is. It's not soft and gentle and pussyfoots like our cultures used to. Coddling. Coddling. For the last several decades, we've been able to raise a bunch of what we call snowflakes. They get their itty-bitty feelings hurt all the time. They don't know, you know, they got to grow They got to grow up and grow a tough skin, put their big boy pants on. Wallflower. Yeah, they're wallflowers. And God doesn't want us to be that way. He wants us to be loving and tender and compassionate and considerate, but at the same time, he doesn't want us to be a welcome mat, and he doesn't want us to be snowflakes and, you know, uh, get hurt and offended at every little turn. We got to grow up. And that's one. there is a book about offense, which is really good, and it's by John Brevere. It's called The Bait of Satan. It's a three, and, that's a four-, part, four or five-part series. Oh, it, well, it's a good book because it yeah. talks about... The, he has the videos, too. If you go on YouTube, okay. you'll see all the different parts. So it's a really, really good. Yeah, so if you, if you can't get the book, uh, watch the videos on YouTube. All right, so we'll go ahead and uh, close with a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. And tonight, your word was a little bitter. It was a little bit hard to swallow, Had a little, left a little bit of bitter taste in our mouth. It was like taking a big spoonful swig of Buckley's. You know, it tastes awful, but it works. So we thank you, Lord, that your your word sometimes is bitter because we do need that. You know, we need to toughen up. We need to, to grow a, a thick skin sometimes. And, uh, Lord, even though your word sometimes is bitter, your Holy Spirit, which gives us understanding, is kind of like the sugar. That makes the medicine go down, as Mary Poppins would say. So we thank you for your Holy Spirit that opens up your bitter word to us sometimes. Um, you know, like I remember that passage where, where the prophet ate the scroll and, and it was sweet as honey, but it became bitter in his stomach. You know, I mean, the word of God is always sweet, but sometimes it's it, it doesn't digest well because it's so stern and serious. But Lord, we need that because we're a broken, fallen, rebellious, wayward people, stiff-necked people. And uh, sometimes that bitterness does us an awful lot of good, and it smartens us up spiritually pretty quick. So we thank you so much for your word. Help us, Lord, even though it may be bitter and hard on our spiritual stomach. Help us to be able to digest it anyway and to learn to love and appreciate your word. And once we condition ourselves to the bitterness sometimes that your word is, we'll we'll, we'll actually grow a taste for it. Because I remember the first time I tasted black coffee, woo yuck that was bitter and now i'm just a coffee connoisseur i'm a coffee snob i love coffee the stronger the bitter the better because the taste grew on me and i could appreciate the 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 finer notes of what i originally thought was so bitter and distasteful there's actually sweet hidden smoky chocolatey notes behind a good strong cup of coffee and that's the way your word is like a good strong cup of coffee that once we get acquainted and and acclimated uh to the taste we taste that smoky, uh, uh, chocolatey note sometimes that are found in the bitterness of your word. So, Lord, we love you, we praise you, we ask and pray these things in Yeshua's name. Amen.
1: Amen.